It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Hey, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for making me a part of your day. I do appreciate it. On the program today, we're going to be talking jobs, uh, destroying them, but also creating them. And, oh, speaking of creating jobs, Mattress Man has done that. You know, that Mattress Man, he actually goes, Chuck, at uh, the owner of Mattress Man, he actually goes out of his way to hire veterans for the jobs that he has in his four showrooms uh, in Asheville and Arden and Hendersonville. Because first off, he knows like he's getting quality employees, uh, but also, you know, he figures it's the least he can do for people that made that sacrifice to go serve our country. So um, why not support a local business like that? And they do ship nationwide, by the way. So if you're listening outside of Western North Carolina, they can ship the mattress right to you. They have five star local delivery service and they have a 120 day comfort guarantee. And right now they've got the Split King mattress blowout going on uh, until the end of the month. Free adjustable bases with the purchase of select mattresses. Uh, and these are uh, two mattresses basically on the king sized frame, you know, so it's like the size of a king, but it's two separate mattresses. And what that means is you've got independent operations so you can raise the foot, raise the head, you can have different, uh, you know, firmness, uh, softness of the mattresses. So you have complete uh, uh, customizability. Customizability? customization that's actually the right word for it is customization so you can get it at mattress man along with the biltmore uh, collection these are made by restonic in fayetteville and these are the mattresses that are at the biltmore hotel and inn uh, on the grounds there at the biltmore estate uh i mean fantastic mattresses bring some of that biltmore luxury to your home uh, and they are sold exclusively at mattress man they are also running a deal on 14-inch hybrid queen mattresses for just $578, your choice of firmness. So head on into Mattress Man or go to the website mattressmanstores.com and experience the difference. Buy local and sleep better. This show is made possible by patrons as well, like Josh, Mary, Matthew, Elizabeth, Sarah, Kathleen, Phil, Rhonda, Jason, and Marlene. Thank you very much for supporting the program. I could not do the show uh, without you guys. So, uh, also, we're going to talk about you know job creation, job destruction, but also a shift in the vaccine distribution in North Carolina amid criticism over Governor Cooper's process that put the state basically at the bottom of the list in the number of vaccinations that have been administered. So we're going to get to all of that. But first... Joining me now is Terry Fountain Jr. He is the president and owner of Fountain Electric and Services located in Spindale, North Carolina. And welcome to the show, Terry. I appreciate you making time for me. And uh, so I wanted to ask you first a little bit about your company, Fountain Electric and Services, third generation, right? It is third generation, yes. And uh, uh, so it's just standard like uh, what, electrician services? Well, yeah, so we do – the majority of the work that we do is commercial and industrial. Uh, the, uh, there, there is a residential piece of it. Uh, we try to you know, answer all needs and try to uh, uh, provide a service to the community as well. One of the big problems that I hear about in the electrical field, but in all the of the trades, is that it's very difficult to find people that are uh, either interested in going into this line of work or – um, 
uh, they're not trained. They, they they don't know how to get into the line of work, and when they do, they they have no experience. So is that uh, is that accurate? Uh, is that what you're seeing? And what are the challenges in attracting and then retaining good help? A lot of questions. Yes, I know. <laughs> uh, the the there is a problem in the industry in uh, finding competent people. Uh, as a matter of fact, we listed. Uh, the three top things that we need to uh, tackle um, this this coming year and uh, um, competent people was was one of the challenges uh, that we feel like is is you know one of the top three challenges that we'll face this year. So you know and and, and where are those competent people coming from and uh, uh, are we get, are we going to be able to you know hire those people right out of school or are they are they going to be looking for the types of jobs that we have? Uh, you know, th- those are those those are the questions that we're trying to figure out, and uh, we don't see the most talented people. The most talented people who are not going to college are those who graduated from college, uh, looking for trade careers. Uh, and why do you think that is? Uh, well, I think construction as a whole has always been the uh, the, the the default last last place job that um that i'll call my career you know if i can't find a job in manufacturing if i can't find a job at the police station or the fire station or uh selling cars or insurance then i'll go into construction and uh you know it's it's um it's one of those jobs that you you have to appreciate it you have to you have it it's one of those jobs where you you have to enjoy building things you have to enjoy being able to look back at the end of the day and saying there's the fruits of my labor. I can see exactly what I accomplished. And, and, you know, and, and you're outside. It's in the weather. Uh, it's, and the weather changes. There's, there's two great seasons, spring and fall, in, in, in you know, the area that we live in. And then there's summer and there's winter. And, you know, and there's rain and there's sunshine. Great when the sun's shining, difficult when it's raining. Uh, we don't miss days because of bad weather. We continue to work. So it's adjustments that have to be made. And a lot of people just aren't comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and I could, I, I, I did limited electrical work years ago. I do, and I do appreciate when you when you do the job and when you flip the light on, <laughs> and the light comes on. There is a certain amount of appreciation. I don't know how you quantify that, uh, but there's pride I, in that. I always say that the uh, the electrical um, profession is the uh, is is what makes it shine. <laughs> and you know, the, you you can you can build a building, you can put the uh, the HVAC systems in there, and you can put all the plumbing systems and have you know fountains that shoot water and all those kinds of things. But none of it goes without electricity. Mm-hmm. And you know, when 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 people look at a uh, um, a city city skyscape, you know, yeah, they're they're looking at it with the lights on. If you were to look at it with the lights off, it's really not that pretty. You can't even see it at night, actually. So, you know, it's the lights that really make it go. And, yes, flipping the power on is uh, um, that that's that's the reward. That's that's what you've been working for the last 12 months on the job. For. So is so you say people need to have an appreciation and a, and a desire to build things and. Um, does it take more than that? Is, does it take a sciencey kind of a brain? Because I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges or intimidating factors that people don't think that they are smart enough to run wire, basically, right, to, to work in your field. So 
when when we talk about the the kind of person that we're looking to um, to employ, um, we have a um, kind of a minimum standards, you know, and and it starts the the very first thing is we want someone to have a high school diploma or a GED as a minimum, and we won't employ. I mean, you have to everybody has to have minimum standards, so that's our minimum standard. Uh, in in addition to that, we're looking for people that can uh, organize themselves. Okay. That's minimum, you know. So when they go to do something, they understand the things that it's going to take to do it, and they've got them ready to be able to do. They can put a plan together and they can execute the plan. When, in in, in addition to that, you know, we're we're looking for people that have, you know, good science, good math skills, good communication skills, um, can write down what they're thinking, and others can understand why they've written what they're trying to communicate. We're looking for those kinds of things. There's a lot of talk, I think, in the industry about relying on uh, public education to teach people in the trades what we need them to know. There's basics that I think science can teach them, that I think math can teach them. If we can get the basics out here, I think it's – for us, the way that we've seen it, it's up to us to be able to educate people in what we need them to know about our particular company, about our particular trade, our means and our methods. So is that what, as I understand it, you created a uh, a program, right? A journeyman program. Is that, and was that the impetus for doing so? It was, it was, we went to the community college system, you know, just like everyone else would and say, Hey, listen, help us. We're not educators. We're, um, we're tradesmen. And, uh, when we talked to the community college system, they, uh, so, well, let's explain to us what you're wanting, you know, tell us a little bit more about what your needs are. And when we started explaining our specific needs, they said, well, we've got an electrical program. And, and we said, yeah, but we need you to teach them these specific things. You're teaching them things that aren't related to what's going on in the world today. Hmm. You're still teaching the same class that you were 40 years ago. And, you know, the, 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 the answer back was yes, but we have, 60 people that sign up for this class every single time we offer it. So we don't see that we need to make any changes. And, you know, the, the, uh, um, I, I would call, I would call what they're doing false advertising. Hmm. They're, they're, they're selling an electrical program, but they're teaching skills that aren't applicable to the careers that are available today. So, you know, used to, uh, and I'll, I'll I'm going to go back 30, 40 years in Rutherford County, when we had a lot of manufacturing, we had a lot of need for industrial electricians. And so, you know, a class that taught about AC and DC motors, motor controls, and uh, things that applied only to industrial electrical. Very important. Mm-hmm. But a lot of troubleshooting type skills. Very important. And, and there, there were, I would say that there were anywhere between 300 and 400 of those jobs here in Rutherford County. Well, today, you know, as technology has advanced and the, the, the industry has advanced, we don't have the need for that. We don't have the manufacturing to support that anymore. And, you know, but we're still teaching the same class as if that need is still there. So these kids are graduating and they don't have the skills to be able to go get a job. Yeah. Or yeah, a job that exists anymore. A job that exists. Right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. so the idea then is, 
uh, well, why not work with, I'll ask it this way, why not work with the um, the community colleges to say, well, why not do a different kind of class? If they don't want to give up whatever class they're teaching because it's making the money or they have enough enrollment, which I would submit that's not a good uh, metric because the kids don't know what class they need. They don't know what skills they're going to need, right? That's the whole point of going to the school in the first place. Uh, but why not offer, a, I don't know, another class, another curriculum? Well, so, you know, getting the answer that we did, yeah, you know, the answer was no, you know, hmm. we're, we're, we're going to teach the classes that we are, you know, is and a phrase that was used as long as we have butts and seats, hmm. you know, that that's, that's, that's what we need to, you know, exist and to, to, to uh, continue what we're doing as a community college, uh, then that's what we're going to do. Uh, I, and I'll say, you know, change is something that, and, and ideas, the change in ideas happens doesn't happen real quickly. Yeah, and 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 I think that the community college system for the longest time existed in in our area to help industry because that's what we were trying to attract. Because we were trying to attract industry, and you know, like I said, it change for them is hard, and it starts at many levels before it got down to the guy that I was actually talking to. Right now, our answer to the problem is. Why would we expect someone else, now that we've invested the time and the effort, why would we expect someone else to be able to teach someone to be a commercial electrician better than we can? We're actually doing it. And, and, and we have, you know, I talked about compliance earlier. We vet our program out, and every year our program gets better. We, we have people that are dedicated to continuous improvement in it. And instead of just relying on a community college system to be able to teach what we need and, and relying on them to have those programs and things in place to make it better, if we've already got it, just continue making it better. Why not? And, and instead of just being, you know, our thoughts are, you know what, if, if, if you know, we're an electrical contractor, okay, but we, we, what we say as a company, we're a workforce development company. And so we're going to teach people the skills that they, we feel like they need to know. So that's not only skills in electrical, but it's skills in leadership or in organization or project supervision. Um, the, the, the relying on someone else to, to, to teach them those things just hasn't proven – it hasn't been a, a, a good model. Uh, so we, we, like I said, we think that, uh, you know, why wait on someone else to do it? We'll do it ourselves. More with Terry Fountain in a minute. First, let me tell you about the place to go if you are in need of specific tools for a one-time job. You don't need to go out and buy the tool, right? You don't You don't need the tool forever. You just need it for this one job, whether it's around your house or it's at the job site, and you're like, I don't want to shell out hundreds or even thousands of dollars for this tool. You just need it for the one time. So go to General Equipment Rental, family owned and operated for three generations. They're in Weaverville. They're at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. So super easy and convenient to get to. Uh, and you just go in, you rent the tool that you need from them. And more than just tool, they've got all sorts of equipment as well, like um, you know scaffolding, for example. So if you want to do some uh, pressure washing of your house, but uh, you know, you're looking up at the at the peak and the, the roof line and you're like, that looks way taller <laughs> now that I actually have to get a ladder up on side the house uh, to do this. So get some scaffolding, stuff like that, but also equipment. 
from large to small. They've got earth moving equipment to small power tools. Uh, they've got it all. And they're going to show you how to use this stuff correctly. So uh, you get the job done right the first time. Go to General Equipment Rental. Uh, you can also buy power tools from them because they are your official licensed Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales and service provider. They also do equipment service and repairs. So go to General Equipment Rental. They're in Weaverville. Their website is generalrents.com and think outside your toolbox. My guest is Terry Fountain. He is the president and owner of Fountain Electric and Services uh, in Spindale, North Carolina. Terry Fountain Jr., I should point out. I'm sorry, I'm Terry Fountain Jr. Um, and so, because this is so your, I guess th- this is a family operation, right? You've been in business uh, for how long? Well, my grandfather started in 1946. Wow. And, uh, you know, he, he, um, uh, great man. I got, I got to work with my uh, grandfather as a uh, teenager. Um, farming, you know, uh, for uh, digging potatoes or, or, or taking care of cattle or mm-hmm. uh, goats and all those kinds of things. And then, you know, we also did electrical work. And, uh, um, you know, there was a short time period I got to work with him and then uh, with my father uh, for about 10 years after, uh, after college. And uh, that, uh, um, and, th- and then my father handed it to me and said, hey, listen, um, I'm I'm going to move on, mm-hmm. and and I'm very gracious for my father doing that, and allowing me to be able to take on this journey and make all the mistakes that I've made, and uh, you know, with a, along with a few successes, <laughs> and uh, um, you know, and 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 just 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 be able to to work with the people that I've been able to to develop this company the way that it that it has been. So without getting into the weeds and the specifics of this journeyman program, you mentioned some of the highlights uh, earlier about uh, leadership you're teaching, these different skills. It's not just strictly about uh, uh, about the job, but it's about the career path, basically. Um, is it something that other companies would be able to take advantage of your model, that they would be able to replicate this? Is it something that, I don't know, do, do you take in people from outside of your business to do this uh, program? What, is it, what does it look like? Is it just for employees only? At the t- at right now, it is, it is a, uh, it's an employee-owned program. But that doesn't mean that we don't go outside of our walls and try to uh, – invest in the community at large or try to, uh, um, you know, make a difference beyond our uh, property line. We mm-hmm. do. Uh, we go out and we speak to uh, um, college classes, to uh, high school classes, even some middle school classes, and and just try to educate people on what we're doing and how we're doing it. And, you know, and some, sometimes those people come and they join us uh, sometimes they may take what we're doing and, and maybe that maybe it's just an idea and, you know, this um, eight year, eight, eighth grade kids entrepreneurs mind and they're and they're saying, you know what, there's a model for what I can do with this. And really, that's what we want for Rutherford County. We want people to, to look at Rutherford County, people that live here. People that are graduating from high school, from college, that, that that are from here and saying, you know what, it's not a disadvantage for me to be there. Let me look at my advantages and let me let me let me capitalize on those. And and uh, so, I mean, we want to see Rutherford County do well. And, you know, that uh, um, so that is a part of it for yeah. us. <clears throat> there are counties in North Carolina, particularly uh, in western North Carolina, that uh, their chief export is their 
they're young people, right? After they uh, they get out of high school, they go away to college, and they generally don't come back. Um, and, and that's a that's a real loss, the brain drain, if you will, right? People that are leaving. So, yeah, the more skills you can give people, and the more attractive you can make the area for them to stay, I think that's th- that that's a benefit at large, right, to the county and the people that are living if, there. If we're not all focused on it, and if we're waiting on someone else to invest in us rather than us invest in ourselves then that's our mistake. You, we, we, can't, we can't wait on you know, the next BMW or the next um, you know, Tesla or, or, or whatever uh, automobile manufacturing plant or high-technology manufacturing plant to come in here and make the difference for us. We've got to make the difference one company at a time. And you know, investing in ourselves, investing in the businesses that are here and the entrepreneurs, driving entrepreneurship, um, that that's that's where Rutherford County succeeds. You know, it, it's it's that's where all communities succeed is is driving that investment in themselves. So was was it a mistake for the? I know a lot of state elected officials uh, have been promoting the community college system as essentially trade schools. Like we need to we need to get them to focus on teaching people more trades. Was that a mistake? Was that the wrong focus to take? I don't think it was a mistake. I don't think that every um, every contractor, every business is going to look at things in the same way that we have. Um, but you know, I do think that that is the goal of business: is to look at your challenges and uh, instead of seeing them as a uh, as a roadblock, uh, see them as an opportunity. And uh, that's what we did. And you know, if there were skilled trades that were coming out of uh, of colleges then we would focus our resources on something else. So, um, no, I don't, think it, I don't think it was a mistake for them to try to start the trade schools. I just think that the rollout is extremely slow. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned uh, earlier before the interview, you, you mentioned uh, accountability. And without accountability, it's very difficult to succeed. And this is sort of the, the philosophy that you have in, in uh, your entire business right um but you're also applying it to this program how does that how does that lack of accountability manifest itself in the community college programs that you've seen uh and and you found to be lacking i guess well you know so you've got a community college program and i'll use the the electrical program that we were talking about here at our local community college uh Who's who's actually looking at that program and saying, is this relevant? How many people are actually getting jobs when they graduate from this program? And are are they getting the right skills that businesses need for them to get when they graduate? If you don't have that kind of compliance, how can you how, how can you get better? And if you're not getting better, what's your goal? <laughs> I, I don't I don't understand uh, how you can have um how how you, how you can how you can have a program without the goal to get better to make the people better and so that's that's the piece that i feel like that accountability i don't see the evidence of that in their program hmm. um in general what is the career path and opportunities that are available for people in your profession because i think a lot of folks when they think of trades they think oh well i would just go to work as a plumber an electrician or whatever and and then that's it right you just you're you're doing this one job you're working for a company and that's the extent of your career is that the case 
Well, I, I, when, whenever I speak to uh, students, I tell them there's two things that I would look for in my career. One is an industry that is growing. If you can get into an industry that's growing, it's a whole lot easier to grow in a growing industry. Hmm. And, if, and then two is get in with a company that is growing. Look at the people that you can see yourself becoming and what kind of positions and what kind of uh, what kind of things are they learning? Is there is there a process in that organization that uh, that is you know driving continuous improvement or driving workforce development? And if you find those two things, then you're going to find an industry where you can succeed and where you can have more than just a job, more than just a a single career, because you can take those skills anywhere. There is there there will never not be a need for people who can lead others and think outside the box. And so if the company is teaching you those kinds of things, that's the company you need to work for. That's the industry you need to get into. Um, in terms of trades, you know, what are the opportunities in, in our trade? I can tell you this. The people that graduated in our program last year are not just electricians because they took – the time they put in the effort to, 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 to lean into our apprenticeship program, but they didn't just become electricians. They became leaders in our company because not that many people are willing to invest in themselves. If you invest in yourselves, you're going to set yourself apart. You're going to be the top of everyone else in your class. So those guys, they're, they're, they're driving trucks, the, you know, the company trucks. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're making 55 thousand dollars a year or more uh they've got great benefits they've you know and and that's i don't think that that's unique to just our company i mean those it 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 may be unique in terms of the time period but i think that that's where the industry is that's where electricians are going to that's that's the kind of wages that they're going to make maybe not as quick as these guys did you know they they were in a four-year program so this this happened for them literally in four years and you know, the company paid for all of their education. Hmm. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to add that you think is important or interesting here to go over that folks should know before we let you go? Yeah, I, I, I would I would say that there is a uh, there's a call to every person that is uh, um, that wants to make things better, that is an entrepreneur, that is, um, you know, and and. The, I'll say the Elon Musk of, of their industry or whatever um, company that they're in, there's a call for leadership among those types of people and, and to, to be able to make it better for others. And so I would just say, get to it. Terry Fountain Jr. is the president and owner of Fountain Electric and Services located in Spindale, North Carolina. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I do appreciate it. Uh, Thank you, Pete. Appreciate it. All right. And uh, something else you'll appreciate, Old Grouch's military surplus. Uh, So, again, thank you, everybody. When you go to Old Grouch's and then you go onto the Facebook page or the group and you let me know that, hey, I got this thing from Old Grouch and I really love it. Uh, I really appreciate the feedback. Uh, That's how, you know, Tim at Old Grouch's, that he knows that the advertising works. Uh, And uh, I want to know, obviously, that the people and businesses that I have partnered with are serving a need for you. 
So I appreciate the feedback and all the feedback I get from old Grouch's military surplus is fantastic. They've got great items. They've got real U.S. military surplus. They've got first aid kits that they will help you customize and build. So whether you need it for hiking or camping or you want it to be part of your uh, emergency supply base to start off of, um, he can help you with that. He's got Kevlar. He's got ammo cans. He's got gun accessories, backpacks for the kids going back to school. These are high quality, durable backpacks. They're going to last way longer than the cheapy stuff that you get from the big box stores via China, you know? So go to Old Grouch's Military Surplus, located on Main Street in downtown Clyde, where they've been for three decades. Uh, The shop is open Monday through Saturday. It's across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and at oldgrouch.com. And remember, keep the feedback coming. I appreciate it. So when Joe Biden was uh, running for president, he repeatedly said that his policies are going to create 18 million jobs. But considering so far (laughs) what he has done, I'm not so sure he's going to make it to the 18 million, Uh, particularly when you look at these executive orders and the implications, the impacts that they're going to have on jobs. Uh, This is an editorial from I&I, which is issuesandinsights.com. Which, by the way, I highly recommend if you were a fan of the old Investor's Business Daily, I'm talking from, you know, 15 years ago, the IBD folks, um, they went and founded, a lot of those uh, journalists went off and founded Issues and Insights with a mission to use their experience to provide timely, fact-based reporting and deeply informed analysis. Um, and so I, I recommend them. I go, I, I go there almost every day, Issues, Insights. Dot com. And by the way, this is linked up at the uh, the prep sheet at the Patreon page as well. Go to the PeteCallanderShow.com for all of the links there. So one of the very first executive actions that Joe Biden signed was to kill the Keystone Pipeline, a project that Obama had blocked for years and that Trump finally approved. And the reason that uh, the, the project was blocked by Joe Biden was to, quote, combat the climate crisis. While canceling the pipeline is not going to actually have any impact on global temperatures, it will kill thousands of mostly union jobs. As the Plumbers and Pipefitters Union noted, quote, the Biden administration has now put thousands of union workers out of work for the average American family. It means energy costs will go up and communities will no longer see the local investments that come with pipeline construction. Some estimates said that the pipeline would employ 11,000 American workers in 2021 and create more than $1.6 billion in wages. This is the subject of a fact check from WRAL-TV, although they're part of this larger fact checking organization, which I think is... is it's not political. Maybe it is politifact. I forget. It doesn't matter. But they're 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 this you know the the appointed anointed fact checkers. They'll tell you what is real and what is not. So the same day that Biden bans the pipeline, he also imposes a sixty day moratorium on oil and gas leases for uh, on uh, for federal lands. The American Petroleum Institute calculates that if this ban is made permanent, this moratorium I should say is made permanent then it's going to cost a million jobs over the next two years and cut the nation's economic output a total of $700 billion by the year 2030. Oh, and it's going to make the U.S. more dependent on foreign oil imports. Biden also pledged to rejoin the Paris Climate Accord, which, according to some estimates, could slash another 3 million jobs by the year 2040. 
He's also pushing the $15 minimum wage, right, where he first imposes it on federal contractors and stuff. Um, but the a $15 minimum wage, according to the Congressional Budget Office report, would destroy as many as 3.7 million jobs. So you add all of these <laughs> numbers together and you get about 6 million jobs that are destroyed. And for a guy who's promising to create 18 million, well, let me take that back. He promised. I don't think he's promising it anymore because you see he needed to get elected first and that was he was just campaigning then. <laughs> so 18 million is what he promised. He's already 6 million in the hole, which means he's going to have to come up with 24 million new jobs. Now, look, I I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be the pessimist here and say that he can't possibly do it, although I would point out he was supposed to have cured cancer by now, but he hasn't. So, yeah, remember that one? Yeah, he was put in charge of of curing cancer after his son died of a brain tumor. And uh, yeah, right. And then like Obama, like did this moonshot to solve or to to cure cancer. And he's going to put old Joe, Sheriff Joe, he was going to put Joe, lunch pail Joe in charge of it. And that never happened. And look, I'm being somewhat facetious here. I I don't expect one, you know, politician to cure cancer. Of course I don't. Um, But I also don't expect one politician to create 18 million jobs, especially when you start off going 6 million in the hole. But let me circle back to this Keystone Pipeline uh, uh, projection of the, the jobs, because this is what this is. a So it is PolitiFact. Daniel Funk uh, is the PolitiFact reporter, uh, but it was published at WRAL. So I don't know because I know WRAL is like affiliated with PolitiFact. So I don't know if this guy, Daniel Funk, works in Raleigh or not. He may be like of a national stature, but it doesn't matter. This is where I found it is WRAL, the Keystone XL Pipeline. In a Facebook post published uh, the same day that Biden revoked the permit for the pipeline, one user said the move would cost thousands of jobs. (laughs) So this is a Facebook post by a, a an unnamed user the politifact people do not tell us who the user is but that's they're fact checking randos on on facebook right now uh how dare you attack joe biden protect the precious so by revoking the keystone pipeline permit biden is destroying 11,000 jobs and roughly 2 billion dollars in wages according to this facebook post democrats uh, could not even get through day 1 without killing jobs for middle class americans the post said we reached out to the user who published the post for their evidence but we didn't hear back <laughs> You're fact checking. <laughs> You're fact checking a meme. Okay, whatever. So uh, they reached out. They didn't hear back. So they're they're really going to focus on the eleven thousand jobs and the two billion in wages. Not the second sentence, by the way. The second sentence, where the the user says Democrats couldn't even get through day one without killing jobs for middle class Americans. They couldn't even get. They're not going to fact check that sentence. Okay, they're going to fact check the first one. That has the data, the 11,000 jobs and $2 billion in wages. Now, just as a heads up here, spoiler alert, WRAL and PolitiFact want us to know they are here to inform us that construction jobs are temporary. Yeah, this is earth shattering news here. So, right. So when you have a project and you hire a bunch of construction workers, those are not permanent jobs, you see, because... Once the project is done, 
then you don't need the construction workers anymore. So is it really the destruction of jobs? I'm not kidding. This is what WRAL and PolitiFact, this is what they spent their time, two pages, this is what they spent their time on. <laughs> Fact-checking a Facebook user, who, by the way, the data is correct as it, as it comes from the people who are doing the pipeline. Okay. The post was flagged as part of Facebook's efforts to combat false news and misinformation on its news feed. Okay. This is not false news. Look, just because you guys don't understand how the construction industry works doesn't make this false news. I'm going to give you a really good analogy uh, in a minute. TC Energy Corporation, the Canadian company that owns the Keystone XL pipeline with the Alberta government, has said more than a thousand people are out of work because of Biden's executive order. Okay, so that's a thousand jobs. They were working. Now they're not due to the executive order. Okay, the 11,000 figure and the $2 billion figure cited in the Facebook post are estimates published by the company. But most of those jobs would be temporary, so they don't count. Okay, first off, one of the uh, rules for life here is all jobs have a shelf life. All jobs have a shelf life, okay? Every one of them. And they, they, may, they may outlast your lifespan, but they may not. And if the sooner people recognize that, <laughs> I think a lot, of the, uh, a lot of the entitlement mentality goes away. Okay, Um, that job is not yours. The job is the company's. Whoever it is that created the job that pays you to do that job. Right. That's whose job it is. And they hire you to do that job. But that job does have a shelf life. And for construction industry workers, the job is the project you're working on. This is why it's so vital. And by the way, you get a lot of this in the trades, like uh, auto mechanics as well, as I was talking about uh, earlier with Terry Fountain, right? You, you've got to keep projects in the pipeline because if you got workers and they're not working, uh, they're going to go someplace else to find the work. And so if you're the company that employs the workers, you need to keep the pipeline full. It is an analogy, yes, of the pipeline. I didn't even realize it as I was doing this, but it is the same concept. You got to keep projects moving through. But the the job itself is lost when the project is over. The job is gone. Now the construction worker may move on to another job, and then that cre- that's a new job. You see how that works? It's a new job, and they're doing that job. But if there's no project to be done, then there is no job. So the project equals the job. Biden's order revokes the permit that was granted in 2019 by President Trump on the grounds it's harmful to the environment. By the way, they don't fact check that either, <laughs> that it's hard that this project is harmful to the environment, um, because then, then they go on to state that an 11 page State Department report on the Keystone Pipeline in 2014. So during the Obama administration found that it would not significantly contribute to carbon pollution Critics say that the project threatens Alberta's rivers and forests, though. You know what threatens them a lot more? Spills. (laughs) When you're transporting this kind of uh, energy material and it spills, that's even worse. See, that's the nice thing about a pipeline is that you, you, you build the pipeline and you either bury it or you have it raised up. And it's like really heavy duty and it just moves stuff all the time. And you don't have to worry about like transporting it where chances of mishaps go way up. Right. Um, The project has become a symbol, though, for the political debate over fossil fuels. So, okay, this is a political debate. 
So you don't fact check any of the claims by them. You're just fact checking the 11,000 jobs. They're, they're going to be very specifically focused here. Over the last several years, we have fact checked many claims that the Keystone Pipeline would create thousands of American jobs. Several of them lack context about the duration and nature of these positions. And this Facebook post is similar. So basically, they're resubmitting their previous work as if it's new <laughs> right now. It's kind of like when you write the paper in freshman year of college and you're like, oh, sophomore year, they, I got another course. They want a paper and it's kind of, I can resubmit this paper for another course. Although that's now not allowed. You can't do that. That's You're not allowed to do that. Um, so I'm not advising people to break your, your campus security protocols or whatever they are. I'm not, I'm not telling people to engage in, in uh, academic fraud. I'm just saying, Sometimes in the past that might have happened <laughs> before the technology got to the point where professors could just run your uh, your pages through some algorithm and find it uh, everywhere. In a January 20th statement, TC Energy said that Biden's order would directly lead to the layoff of thousands of union workers. It did not specify exactly how many jobs would be lost. President Richard Pryor told the Associated Press that the layoffs would number more than a thousand. Um, and TC Energy has not responded back to PolitiFact here. The 11,000 figure in the Facebook post appears to stem from an October press release from the company where they said they awarded contracts to six American union contractors to build the pipeline in three states in 2021, and they were responsible for hiring 7,000 union workers. When combined with additional contracts to be announced later, the total number of American union workers constructing the Keystone Pipeline in 2021 would exceed 8,900 million in gross wages, and in total, it's expected to employ 11,000 Americans, creating 1.6 billion in gross wages. And that's where this number comes from. But then PolitiFact points out most of the estimated jobs were temporary. So how would you rule on this? I will tell you what PolitiFact decided in a minute. First, I'll tell you about Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team. Christy and I are using Rowena and her team to buy our house. It's a build to suit. So it's, uh, you know, it's in a it's in a neighborhood development. And uh, we got to pick, you know, certain, you know, we get to pick a floor plan. You get to pick some finishes. Uh but there are things in that process. We've never done this before, but Rowena and her team, they do have experience representing buyers in this process. So we're relying on them to tell us what we don't know. It's very helpful. And by the way, what we don't know is a lot. So uh, <laughs> it's been very helpful. Now, if you're looking to sell, she'll get your house sold quickly. And for more money, it's what she does. She has buyers lined up. And she has homes in all price points. Buying or selling, call Rowena today at 333-4043, website mountainhomehunt.com. That's 333-4483. Give her a call and then start packing. So here is how PolitiFact rules. Temporary jobs are still jobs, but this post could leave the wrong impression without full context. So we rate it as half true. Except it's not half true. It is true. See, this is the problem with these PolitiFact geniuses that think that they are the arbiters of truth. It's not half true. It is fully true that 11,000 jobs will be lost because of the cancellation of the project. Just because your idea of what a job is, is different than what the actual definition of what a job in the construction field is, that doesn't make this statement untrue. It makes you ignorant. 
That's all, right? This isn't a problem with the person posting it on Facebook. It's a problem with you having a biased idea of what a job is. Let me give it to you this way. How about this? Let's say you're a reporter and you get assignments, okay? So in this case, the reporter is like the construction worker and your assignment to go cover something is like the job, in this case, the Keystone Pipeline. If you eliminate the job for the construction worker, there's, right, there's no need for that worker. Just like if you eliminate all of the assignments for the reporter, well, there's no need for the reporter. The assignments are the temporary jobs, if you will. Without those, we don't have a need for you anymore. Does that make it a little bit more understandable? It's not half true. It's not half true. You just half understand it. That's all. Uh, let me shift over here now to the uh, the vaccine distribution going on in North Carolina. <laughs> Look, I'm going to say this right up front. I think it's good that the Cooper administration is recognizing a problem with their vaccine distribution method. I think I'm not going to beat them up for that. I'm not going to beat up elected officials who recognize that something they were doing isn't working. And so they're going to change. Now, I don't appreciate being gaslit. I don't appreciate being lied to that. The reason why they're doing this is, you know, some other reasons. We know why they're doing it. They're doing it because they want to get more vaccines into people's arms and they weren't doing a very good job of it beforehand. Right. And they were notified of their inability to do this well by media reports and rankings that showed North Carolina was lagging behind virtually every other state in America in getting the vaccines distributed. So when that political pressure built, they then said, you know what, we need to shift gears and do something differently. And again, I support you shifting gears. I don't support you lying about why you're shifting the gears <laughs> because you're shifting them, obviously, because you were under pressure to do so because you weren't doing a good enough job. So what is uh, what is happening? North Carolina officials, this is from Brian Anderson from the Associated Press, they're shifting the state's COVID-19 vaccine distribution strategy towards mass clinics in an effort to turn the corner on a slow rollout. But it's leading to frustration for some hospital systems that have had their anticipated vaccine allocations reduced or eliminated, resulting in thousands of residents seeing appointments postponed or canceled over the last week. North Carolina distributed more doses to large sites like Charlotte Motor Speedway, where they had some big event last weekend. They had like 16,000 people vaccinated. Uh, and now they're going to be doing more of these mass vaccination sites around the state. And look, if this is the way to get more people vaccinated faster, then do it. Absolutely do it. I, I, I'm not a logistical expert. I don't know whether the better way is to distribute them to all of the local you know, the counties and local clinics and hospitals and have them schedule appointments and do it that way? Or is it better to just say, hey, you know what? We got a big event. Everybody come. And then you just line up people and just start jabbing them with the vaccine. And if if that's the way to get more people vaccinated, then do it that way. I'm OK with that. Mean Now, you should also have, obviously, for people who cannot make that trip, you should also have uh, the ability to go you know, more local into these rural areas and such. But again, I support them shifting their strategy. Now, if you're thinking of shifting strategies when it comes to pain mitigation or uh, deeper sleep, maybe lower tension, immune system resilience, might I recommend to you Grower's Hemp, full spectrum hemp extract. 
CBD oil. I take some of these drops before I go to bed and I fall asleep fast and I stay asleep. And I can't recommend them highly enough. Um, Go to growershemp.com, use my name, Pete, and you'll get 20% off. Promo code Pete, you'll get 20% off. Here is um, some feedback from Paul, who said, The taste of appleberry extract was pleasant, a combination of a natural hemp taste, yet not overpowered by the fruit flavoring like a cough syrup. Um, And uh, I've got one here from Leslie, who said she likes the the taste, the light berry. It's not overpowering. Daniel agrees, saying, Tastes great. It did help me relax and sleep. So go to growershemp.com. Uh, These are North Carolina farmers. They control the whole thing from seed to shelf, uh, so you get a better quality product for a lower price. As with all CBD products, here's the official disclaimer that I got to give you. The statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, and the efficacy of these products has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and... Nothing I have said is meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from your healthcare provider. So consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. You can find it on the shelves, by the way, at the Broad River Hemp Company in Shelby, the Medical Pharmacy in Locust, and the Durham Co-op, also at growershemp.com. Promo code PETE, 20% off Growers Hemp. It's about the hemp, not the hype. All right, so... Over the last week, 16,000 vaccines administered at the uh, uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway. They're doing another one, I think, at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte. But this this means that the vaccines, the doses, they have now been reallocated. So you had all of these appointments that were made, thousands of them all around the state. People had made appointments, and now those vaccine doses are not going to get delivered. And so people who were in the most vulnerable demographics that had their vaccines scheduled to be administered, they're now not going to get them. And this has, uh, let's see, what is the word? Irked irked this has this is what the ap headline the transition to max uh, to mass vaccination sites irks nc health systems yeah because they weren't told about it mandy cohen secretary of the state department health and human services said in a statement monday that supply shortages are fueling the problem okay this is not new though okay there we we've always known that there is a limited number of the doses because they're only being manufactured at a certain rate and they have to be distributed all over the planet Right. So this is a strategy shift, okay, which I would submit is born from the bad PR over the slow rollout. And while it is good to shift course, don't lie to me that this is really all the fault of a limited supply. It's always been the fault of a limited supply. You chose a different distribution method. You then had to change it. You then changed it again. And now you've changed it again. You've the state has constantly done this throughout this rollout period. You can't blame the supply being limited because that has been a constant, right? That has been a constant. The North Carolina Healthcare Association uh, lobbying group for hospitals sent Governor Roy Cooper a letter criticizing what it views as ever-changing guidance. Quote, the responsibility to successfully vaccinate the state's residents has largely fallen to our state's hospitals without a clear and consistent plan from the state or the necessary resources for success, according to the association's CEO, Stephen Lawler. Now, I find this to be kind of comical because what has Cooper been saying? What have the Democrats been saying? Democrats are saying that this is all Donald Trump's fault, that there's been no plan from the federal government. Yet now you have the hospital saying you guys at the state level, you've given us no plan and whatever guidance you give us keeps changing. 
So <laughs> you're guilty of the exact same thing. Um, what else here? Two health associations. This is a story by WLOS. Um, the North Carolina Association of Local Health Directors, actually the president of this. Uh, so these are health departments um, in, around the state. Buncombe County's public health director, Stacy Saunders, is the president of this organization. She wrote a letter as well to state officials uh, saying that local health departments are having to cancel previously scheduled COVID-19 vaccine appointments in order to meet a new directive from the state. Saunders says that not only are the vaccines being moved away from local communities for these new mega sites, but that the vaccines are being withheld from providers who have been transferring their vaccines to other providers, even though they were originally told that they would not be penalized if they did so. The hospital association says, look, hospitals have repeatedly pivoted on short notice to accommodate various urgent directives and orders from state and federal leaders here, typically with no prior consultation for input or clear measures of success. Quote, we can and do adapt on the fly, but it is time for the state to now take steps to coordinate a better plan and way forward on vaccine development. Local health departments uh, say that they did exactly what was directed of them. They scheduled the appointments. They committed to individuals um, and, uh, you know, to get their shots. And now they're having those uh, taken away. WRAL reports that Mandy Cohen went on a conference call and said uh, that, quote, I apologize for not being more clear. I own that and I apologize. It has put you all in a difficult, difficult position. So Cohen seems to be taking the fall here (laughs) for uh, Cooper. I did think it was interesting. The hospitals are saying something in this letter. They're saying that Cooper and his administration have not been uh, consulting with them have not been using their expertise in all of this, in the vaccine rollout plans. It's kind of surprising. Um, That's a wrap for this episode. Thanks so much for hanging out with me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Remember, subscribe and maybe think about becoming a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. We'll talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone. 